Okay, I've got I've got exactly twelve fifteen. So let's let's jump into it. First um, Corinthians chapter twelve. Let's wrap up chapter twelve. We won't make it all the way. I'm going to hold off for chapter thirteen to next week. Uh, chapter thirteen is um, it doesn't take a lot of explanation, but I want to spend a significant amount of time there. But we're at chapter twelve. I want to look at uh, concluding verses 27 through the end of the chapter. Um, just a quick, quick review. Uh, we started back at chapter 12. Uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14 have to do with Paul's discussion, uh, generally speaking, of worship in the church in Corinth. Uh, he is even more specifically speaking about uh, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, he's talking about uh, the, the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit that are occurring in worship. But even more specifically than that, evidently there were divisions being created um, because of the gifts of the Spirit. You know how we human beings are. We think our gift is better than other people's gift. We think our gift is more important than other people's gift. So he, he talked about gifts of the Spirit at the beginning of chapter 12. Then he had that uh, beautiful analogy of the body. Uh, Paul likes to refer to us as the body of Christ. We are the body that belongs to Christ. Uh, I would even push it beyond that. We are the physical presence of Jesus in the world. Uh, the church is not an organization. If you say around me that the church is an organization, I'll probably gently correct you and say the church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's more like a family than an organization. Um, Paul uses that analogy, body of Christ, physical presence of Jesus. We're not just a group of people who happens to come together and sing religious music. Uh, there's a mystical side to what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, because by being called the body of Christ, uh, you can make the case, as we've done for a couple thousand years, that we are the ongoing incarnation of Jesus. Uh, Jesus came, walked among us, uh, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But then after the ascension, he uh, gifted us with his Holy Spirit. And now his Holy Spirit animates us, energizes us as the body of Christ. So we are the ongoing incarnation. Um, one of my pet peeves when I'm dealing with um, uh, particularly Methodist uh, ordinance heading in the process is uh, almost universally Methodist ordinands with, with seminary degrees have a very low ecclesiology. And what I mean by that, what we mean by that is um, we ask, one of the questions they have to answer for us in print, but I like to make them do it in person also, is to um, talk to me about the, um, the mission and nature of the church. I will guarantee you 99 times out of 100 when the person in front of me is Methodist, they will, even though I say nature and mission of the church, the only thing they start talking about is the mission of the church. They start telling me what we do. And I usually let them talk to me about what we do. And then I say, okay, now tell me about the nature of the church. Uh, who are we? What are we? And, I mean, sometimes, these are seminary graduates. I have to look at them because we just know what we do. 
that's kind of an American thing, but it's very much a Methodist thing. But um, when I talk about the nature of the church, sometimes I have to encourage them to think about the creeds where the church is described. One, holy, Catholic, apostolic. And I say, what does it mean to say we're one? What does it mean to say we're holy? What does it mean to say we're Catholic? What does it mean to say we're apostolic? Um, a lot of people know more about what they do than who they are. But uh, so when Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, and then gives a beautiful analogy like he does in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, make sure, and this is probably the right metaphor to use, flesh that out and make sure you understand what Paul is talking about, the church being the body of Christ. Uh, there is something deeply and desperately mystical about the church. Uh, we, we, we are very different. We're not just like a rotary club that sings good religious songs. And I, I use that illustration because I'm Rotarian, a very faithful Rotarian, very proud Rotarian. But I know that there's, a huge, there's nothing mystical about the rotary club. Um, the church there is, though. We're the ongoing incarnation of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. So after, after Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are sprinkled throughout the body... He, he gives the analogy about us being the body of Christ and what that means. Um, and then, of course, he does that to make sure we understand that all the parts of the body are necessary. You know, the ear is not more important than the toe or the foot. Or all parts of the body are necessary. And if one part of the body is not operating as that part of the body is operating, in other words, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, that is disease. This ease, something is out of ease, something is out of order, something is out of whack. So we're the body of Christ, that means each one of us as members of that body have to be doing what, what we're called to do. We have to be um, allowing whatever that gift of the Spirit to uh, manifest in our lives. And don't let fake humility keep you from using whatever gift God has given you. Because again, it's more about God than it is you. So if you're using that gift that God has given you for the good of the body, that's the language Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 12, again, it's not about you. It's something God has placed in you for our corporate good, and um, you know, use it, use it. So he talks about the body of Christ. We're getting at 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where he is going to kind of wrap up this section. Um, let me again review just a little bit more. Gifts of the Spirit are different from fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament. Paul's very clear about that. Um, fruit of the Spirit, you see that listed in Galatians 5.22 and following. Uh, that's love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, self-control, that list. That's fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit, we, we went over two or three times at the beginning of chapter 12 where he lists things like word of knowledge, word of, uh, word of wisdom, uh, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing, uh, gifts of supernatural faith. Those are gifts of the Spirit. Uh, this is the most famous list of gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, but Paul talks about in other places. For instance, go, go, to, go to Romans 12. Let me just show you the other list before we get out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. If you go to Romans 12, um, Paul again sort of lists uh, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, he's talking about our lives being um, um, 
we should we should offer our lives as a sacrifice to God. If you look at verse six of chapter twelve of Romans, here's another list. Uh, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, and we talked about prophecy because that's in 1 Corinthians 12 list, that's Paul's favorite gift. You're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 14. But he references prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service, the gift of serving, the gift of service, uh, those are your Marthas in the church. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, uh, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. We used to call our lay preachers, by the way, in the Methodist movement um, 100 plus years ago. We used to call them exhorters. That was an office in the life of the church. That meant an unordained preacher who, um, who, who preached, who exhorted, who encouraged the body. Uh, it comes from Paul. So he talks about uh, the ministry, the gift of exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. Again, we're all called to be generous. But some Christians, uh, just like whether it's the gift of faith or the gift of intercession or the gift of evangelism, some, gift have the, some Christians have the gift of generosity. They just do above and beyond and better than the rest of us do. Um, I've run across some remarkable people in my life who've had the gift of generosity. Um, I, I, in my first appointment, I had somebody pull out a checkbook and they could do this. Nobody ever, almost nobody knew that would have these kind of resources. They pulled out their checkbook and they wrote a check to buy the church a new parsonage uh, for the pastor to live in. Uh, that's a gift of generosity. Um, he, he, this person didn't need much, he, he didn't use his money much for himself. He, he used it for other things. That's the gift of generosity. We're all called to be generous, but some people particularly have the gift of generosity. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you see that list in Romans 12, uh, gifts of the Spirit. Let me show you Paul's last example of giving gifts to the Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, look around verse... Two, 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 two. If you look around verse... Uh, da, 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 da. It's in here. They haven't taken it out, I'm sure. Um, if it's a small list... Uh, there it is. If you look down at verse 11, and this will get us really back to the closing section of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, here he offers gifts of the Spirit. And one of the ways he offers gifts of the Spirit here, just like he's going to do at the end of chapter 12, is by referring to certain offices, certain positions within the body of Christ. If you look at verse 11, chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, notice the list. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So there's the list of offices, positions within the body of Christ uh, that, that God gifts the body with. Verse 12, you see again Paul saying, These gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at verse 11, at that list of gifts that uh, create certain offices in the church, he says evangelist, and he, he says prophet, he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, and he says shepherds and teachers, or perhaps your translation says pastors and teachers. Uh, what I really wish your translation would say, and there may be 
one out there. I'm not sure. What I really wish your translation would say is um, pastor-teacher with a hyphen. Some of us think that's one office, pastor-teachers. Um, I pretty strongly believe that's one office. From personal experience, I think that's one office, the office of pastor-teacher. I spent quite a bit of time over the course of my ministry telling pastors that they have to be teachers. You know, when we send a pastor to a church, whether you want to be or not, um, you're the resident theologian in that congregation. And part of our problem is some of our pastors can be resident theologians, want to be resident theologians, want to teach the faith, propagate the faith, hand the faith on, and for some reason some of our pastors don't want to. But uh, so I don't even see these as two different offices from Paul. You can make the case shepherds, teachers, or pastors, teachers is one office. So those are the other lists where Paul talks about these gifts. Uh, remember what I said. None of these lists are, lists are identical. Um, there's some overlap between the lists, but none are identical. So that's led us to believe for a couple thousand years that these lists even if you put them all together, uh, they're not exhaustive. Uh, I've mentioned to you before, for instance, the gift of intercession is not listed in any of Paul's list. But uh, most of us fervently believe there are people who have the gift of intercession. Again, we're all called to pray. But some people would rather pray than go to Disney World and they have a particular fruit from their prayers. And we've known for 2,000 years there are people who have the gift of intercession. Um, so the lists are not exhaustive, which makes sense. I mean, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's creative. So the Holy Spirit can uh, create more gifts than we could ever uh, categorize. So with that, now go back to 1 Corinthians 12. You've looked at the three lists from Paul where he lists um, these gifts. Uh, and at this point in 1 Corinthians 12, because he's already done a list of gifts primarily focusing on activity. Um, and notice that earlier list of gifts that we've looked at a couple of times, gifts of speaking, gifts of revelation, gifts of power, those nine gifts that occur earlier in 1 Corinthians 12. Here he's going to talk um, about gifts, but he's going to do like he did in those other two places, Romans and Ephesians. He's going to talk about gifts in regards to offices in the church. So enough introduction. Look at verse 27. Now you... By the way, in the Greek there, the word you occurs first. It's emphatic. You. You. That's all of us. That's the whole body of Christ. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, again, I want you to work on your ecclesiology. I want you to be able to explain who the church is. Then tell me what the church is supposed to do. Because uh, they're, they're integrally connected but uh, know who we are. The Bible is full of images as to who we are, um, body of Christ being one of the primary ones in the New Testament. Um, so you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 28, uh, here comes another list. And God has appointed in the church, um, in the New Testament, the word church, ecclesia, from which we get the word ecclesiology, from which we get the word uh, ecclesiastical. Uh, ecclesia is um, the Greek word that we translate church. It literally just means a gathering. So uh, again, the church is never, ever, ever a building. Uh, we have a building where the church meets. 
I refer to this property usually as a campus. Uh, by 12.25 on Sunday morning, the church has left. Uh, it's just a building remaining here. Uh, the word church, ecclesia, ecclesiastical, ecclesiology, is just simply the gathering. It's a very Jewish term. It's in Greek here in the New Testament. It's a very Jewish term. It means gathering. Uh, what you need to know, though, about the use of the word church in the New Testament is it refers to one of two things. Um, and you have to look at the context to see which of the two things it refers to. People, even traditions within the Christian community, tend to, to use one or the other um, rather than use the riches of our faith and refer to, refer to church both ways that Paul refers to it. Uh, the church or the gathering can be a local fellowship, you know, the church that meets at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. So the church can be a local fellowship or the church can be the full body of Christ around the world. I grew up in a congregation. I never, ever, ever heard church refer to anybody other than our building and our group. And when I went on and did my first um, youth ministry uh, in a Presbyterian church, in that Presbyterian church was the first time I started running across people who referred to church and meant the whole worldwide body of Jesus. Not just a building, not just the people who met in their building, but the whole worldwide body of Jesus. If it, if it helps you to differentiate, sometimes we'll say little C church, big C church. Um, I, I tend to be talking about the big C church more than I talk about the little C church. Uh, Paul does do both. Uh, right here, he could, be, he could be doing either. He could be talking to, about the, the church in Corinth, or he could be talking about the church in Corinth and in High Point and in Ephesus and in Thessalonica. Uh, most of us tend to think uh, he's probably talking about the big C church, uh, the worldwide community. So he says, verse 20, and God has appointed... And you thought we Methodists created that word appointed, didn't you? But we didn't. And God has appointed in the church, and here comes his list, first apostles. Um, let me tell you what most of us think Paul means by apostle. It comes from a Greek word apostolos, apostolos. It means um, one who is sent. If you look at Paul's writing, and if you look at the book of Acts, uh, apostle is fairly narrowly defined. Apostle is someone who has been sent, obviously, but it's even more narrow in the New Testament, someone who has been sent by the risen Christ. Uh, that's why most of us don't believe there are apostles in the world today. Uh, we all in the body of Christ carry out an apostolic ministry, we're all carrying out ministry in the spirit of the apostles, but none of us have seen the, the resurrected Christ and been sent out by him. That's part of the reason we know that's part of what Paul argues. Because there were people coming at Paul, including in Corinth, saying, you're not an apostle. You never hung out with Jesus in Jerusalem, in the Galilee. You're not an apostle. What was Paul's answer to that? When did he see the, when did the living, resurrected Christ send him? Damascus, yeah. That's why in the book of Acts, there are three accounts of Paul's Damascus Road experience. 
Uh, that's where he's arguing, I am an apostle. In 1 Corinthians, he has to argue, particularly in 2 Corinthians, I am an apostle. So um, apostles are no longer. Now, I know that there's some parts of the body of Christ that use that term for officers today. And um, that's fine. That's okay. I, I don't think they're technically using it the way the New Testament tends it to be used. We all have apostolic work. But uh, in most of our traditions, you won't see any um, of our leaders called an apostle. There are parts of the body of Christ that do that. Uh, but the New Testament is pretty clear on what an apostle is. Uh, we build, and Paul's clear on this, like in Ephesians 4, we build on the work of the apostles by doing apostolic work. Uh, the church is one holy Catholic apostolic. We're still doing the same things the apostles did. Uh, but, but apostles are very, uh, very narrow uh, office. And that's why Paul says here, first came the apostles. Uh, and then he starts listing... Um, and these other offices are still present in the life of the church. We know this from throughout the New Testament. So after apostles, second prophets, they're the ones who do prophecy. Prophecy is not so much telling the future that may be involved, but prophecy means speaking the mind of God. When we get to chapter 14, you're going to see that prophecy is Paul's favorite gift. So he's going to say quite a bit about prophecy. Uh, those are those people who speak the mind of God. Third, teachers. Um, I think that's what I'm doing right now. Now, prophecy and teaching are different. Um, you, you may not, I'm not sure it's even noticeable. On Sunday morning, I can pretty much know when I'm flowing between teaching and being prophetic. I can pretty much know when I'm just teaching something. Both are offices. They're both significant. Uh, prophetic being is speaking the mind of God. Teaching is maybe helping you understand Scripture, helping you understand what it means to, to be apostolic, helping you understand the traditions of the church. Being prophetic means I, I, I feel like I've got a word from God and you need to hear it. Um, so they do kind of bleed together, but you see here in Paul, they're, they're, they're different offices. So he talks about the apostles, prophets, teachers, <coughs> excuse me, then miracles. Um, he's already referenced that. Miracles, then gifts of healing. He's already, met, he's already referenced that early in 1 Corinthians 12. Notice again, miracles is plural, gifts of healing are plural. Uh, then helping and administering. Helping um, is more like service, diaconia. We, 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 we have people within the church called deacons. We used to have diaconal ministers. We used to have a program here called Diaconia in the Life of Wisdom Memorial Church. That just means serving. So we know that there are those who serve and those who those have the gift of service. Those are sort of the Marthas in the room. Um, or the, what do you call a male? Um, a male Martha. Those are the male Marthas and the Marthas in the room. That's the gift of, of service. Administering are those who um, help keep, um, we just, by the way, do you all know that today is Professional Administrative Assistance Day? Uh, you should know that. We've already given six flowers away to our administrative assistants here. Uh, I pay attention. There's two days I pay attention to, Professional Assistant Administrative Assistance Day, and the other one is Nursing Day. I pay attention to nursing, Nurses Day. But today is when you're supposed to honor your administrative assistants. Uh, that's why you saw Tish walk through a few moments ago holding a flower. That's why we had a lunch. But um, those, I tell the administrative people, they're the ones who kind of keep the train on the tracks. 
They do that administrative work. Uh, so the rest of us can do some other stuff, maybe including some administration, but we need to do some other stuff. So serving and administrating are different gifts, and then various kinds of tongues. We're going to talk a lot in chapter 14, again, about the gifts of tongues, because uh, he's going to talk quite a bit in chapter 14 about the gifts of tongues and the gift, gift of prophecy. So we'll have, we've, we've talked about that before. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. Um, even in chapter 13, there's a reference to tongues. Uh, both, both, it, both tongues as something that God gives to the church to be a message from God to the church that needs an interpreter, and the gift of tongues as a prayer language that individuals have. All of that will come in chapter 14, but they're, they're gifts that the Holy Spirit sprinkles throughout the body of Christ. So, do, so he says, uh, so they're the various kinds of tongues. Now look at verse 29. This is what the people in Corinth needed to hear. This is what we need to hear. Uh, Paul's going to give you a, a series of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions means that you don't really, you shouldn't struggle for an answer. The answer is obvious. So look at verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? What is the implied answer to all those questions? No, thank you, no. Yeah. Um, and now, if, you're, if you have all of these, I won't talk with you for a little while. Um, but Paul is saying, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Because he's making the case, the body of Christ needs all of these. All of these are present. Your gift is not better than mine. Mine's not better than yours. Uh, God, God is sovereign. God sprinkles these gifts across the body of Christ. So that's why these are rhetorical questions. Again, part of what's going on in Corinth, we know this is an actual church that had a lot of problems in Corinth, uh, but there was a lot of division, a lot of rivalry, a lot of boasting, a lot of personal glorification, and a lot of it had to do with, with gifts. The reason he's going to have to revisit the speaking in tongues gift is what was going on in Corinth, the gifts that are more public, those people seem to be a little more proud. Uh, some gifts are private. Uh, administration sometimes can be very private. Um, but some of these other gifts can be very public. Uh, so Paul is trying to say these, there's not a pecking order in these gifts. And that's why there's, you know, there's, there's no one person that, that, that's a total package. And we need all of these. But notice what he says in verse 31. But desire, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Um, then he's going to get into verse, he's going to get into chapter 13, which I suspect you know, the hymn to love. And he, he, he introduces really chapter 13 with uh, the phrase that ends the way we divide it up. It ends chapter 12. And I will show you still more I will, still, I will show you a still more excellent way. And that's when he gets into, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noise of gone or a claiming symbol. That's when he gets into the gift of, of love in chapter 13. He's going to show you the more excellent way. But I want you to notice he said desire. Desire the, the, the greater gifts, the more excellent gifts, the greater gifts. Um, you can desire gifts from God. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you have gifts. God... God has gifted every one of his people. He, you see the promise here in 1 Corinthians 12. Every one of us has at least one gift, so use it. Don't fake modesty or don't have a modesty that keeps you from using it. 
because uh, that doesn't please God. It doesn't glorify God. Whatever God has given you as a gift, you use that gift for God. Um, and, and, and maybe desire, because he's getting ready to tell you about prophecy. Uh, so there, 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 there is the greater gift of prophecy and the um, fruit of love. If you don't operate your gift, this is what was going on in Corinth. If you don't operate your gift with the fruit of love, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's why some people in the body of Christ, um, well, let's just take teaching. I'm kind of fond of that gift. Uh, there are teachers in the body of Christ who say the right things. Um, it, but what I, what I think I experience sometimes is it's like someone who sings the right, they have the right words, wrong tune for the song. You know, they're operating out of the gift of teaching. You can do this any gift. They're operating out of the gift of teaching, but they're not using the fruit of love. You know, I mean, when, when um, you know, like when somebody comes to see me, this, not, not always, not always, it's not always true, but usually when someone comes to see me and they say, Pastor, I've got something I need to tell you out of love, probably not. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we've got to use our gifts with the, with the fruit of love. Um, I'll say one more word about teaching as we wrap up, but this is as far as I want to go today. Uh, I'm glad that Paul talks more than once about the gift of teaching in the body of Christ. Uh, I think in the Christian community today, that gift is desperately needed. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I can be with clergy even, and I say, You know, there's a big difference between saying God is love and saying love is God. Those are major different statements. And I just love to see people's eyes glaze over when I say, tell me the difference between believing God is love and love is God. We've got a culture now who th that thinks because we believe God is love, because the Bible says that, and, and love is one of the key characteristics of God. They think they can just unreflectively turn that around and say love is God. And then what happens, anything I deter, anything I name love, and we, we can call all sorts of things love, anything I define as love all of a sudden can be coming out of it. Um, uh, can become something that's, that pulls us away from God. So there's a big difference between saying God is love and love is God. And the body of Christ needs some teaching on that right now. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm fond of the office of teaching. Uh, some people don't avail themselves of people who have the gift of teaching. And uh, some people, even who have the gift of teaching, don't take time to do it in the body of Christ. Our book of discipline is very clear. Our clergy should be resident theologians. We are sent to churches to be resident theologians. One, one last thing that I want you to just notice culturally uh, I was talking to Ken when he came in. We were talking about books in the first century. One of the reasons teachers were so esteemed in the early Christian community was this was before the printing press, obviously, by about 1,500 years. Uh, first century Christian community before the printing press. Um, so that means that uh, 
the serious scholars out there who, who, who research and write about writing tell us that a copy of a gospel, and by this point the gospels aren't even written yet, right? Paul's letters come before the gospels are written. But give it another 20 years, 30 years, gospels will be written. In the first century, a copy of a gospel would cost you about a one year's wage. A copy of something the size of what we call the New Testament would cost you about eight years wages of an average person. See how important teachers were in the first century? I couldn't just give you a book and say, go read this. In the first century, the office of teaching, that's why you got apostles, prophets, teachers right here at the top of the list. Because, uh, you know, people couldn't Google it in the first century and read about it. Um, but the, the teaching office, the prophetic office, uh, the apostolic office are all very important. So this is a good stopping place uh, because next week we'll